And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns. And as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Vadden. How are you? I am good. And usually um, my mood is determined by the sun, but we have snow. It just started snowing all of a sudden here. So it, we have spring flowers blooming and it's snowing. Yeah, I'm doing good. It's fine over here. It's just overcast and well it's the northeast during the winter it's, it's the same weather forecast i've had for like the last 15 episodes it's, it is what it is but stacy would you like to introduce our guest i would i'm introducing the guest and and this is the guest that you are so excited um <laughs> the, and, the, the, and... the guest I, I i reached out to and yeah. tried to bring uh, on but i'm dumping the sort of introductions off on you so <laughs> I will say that um, I am glad that you um, have uh, Thomas joining us today from the UK for those listeners out there, because I would not have discovered your amazing Instagram and I will share Thomas. I have already shared your Instagram with three teen um, autistic young men in Australia who needed to see something different. So thank you so much for your effort. And um, I'm glad that our listeners will sort of learn about your platform and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, do you want to say something about yourself, Thomas? Yeah, yeah, of course. And and, and thank you very much. Um, I just wanted to say as well, like we have in the UK had quite a bit of snow, even though it's springtime, which is um, a bit crazy. It was quite sort of warm during the winter days. But um, now it's it seems, it seems like the, the weather's just a few steps ahead of like the, the usual dates so it's it's very strange but yeah um i'm i'm an autism advocate from the uk i'm based in the north of england uh hence why my voice my accent is not sort of typical kind of british london kind of accent and I, I basically started my sort of work when i was at university i was studying biomedical sciences at the university of manchester through that process, I kind of realized that there was there was a part of me that I didn't particularly understand. I, I was diagnosed with, with autism at the age of 10, but for a lot of my life, the way that I understood autism is that I struggled to talk to people. I struggled with certain sensory things. I struggled with, with overwhelm and meltdowns, um, but I didn't really sort of pay attention to a lot of the, the nuances behind it. And so I, I started my YouTube channel, which didn't it didn't take off for a long time. I, you know, I did a lot of stuff within the university, uh, within within the media, sort of talking about my experiences. And then and then at one point I decided, hey, I might as well do a podcast. Nobody, nobody's nobody in the 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 autism uh, space at that time was kind of going for that kind of thing as far as I could see. So I was like, hey, let's do that. Fast forward, you know, we've. I've done upwards of 50 plus episodes, which has um, been absolutely amazing. And it, it really started off as a chance for me to, you know, I, I dip my toes into the into the world of communicating to a camera and sort of expressing my thoughts and feelings. But I really wanted to develop that other side of me, which was interacting with someone else and bringing someone else's experiences to the table. And while, while I was doing all that podcast stuff, I was... Um, starting up on Instagram, I was I was making posts now and again, and uh, I think probably about 
six months ago or so I decided to, to sort of step it up and, and sort of try to become um, a bit more consistent with my content and um, and starting up a business soon which will be sort of one-to-one autis- autism coaching for adults um, and I'm very excited about it. No, that's awesome. And, and, and I'm happy to hear that too, because there needs, and we're going to talk about this more later on, there needs to be more resources for adults. We talk about it all the time on the podcast. But one of the first things I want to know is, and we asked this before we started recording, how the hell do you produce so much content? Because for those of you who don't know, this guy produces like three to four posts on Instagram a day. Now, a lot of it involves like editing and meme creation, and it's really good quality stuff. And I, I do most of the media for this podcast and some of the media for Stacy's coaching company, Everything Autism. And I go drive myself crazy. And I have like one tenth the social media output that you do. So, how do you do all that every single day without losing your mind? Very good question. I think it is hard. And I think the nature of social media platforms like Instagram or, or, or any like YouTube, you know, Twitter, everything like that. It's all about being consistent. And that can be really hard because it's, it's always looming over you that you've got these deadlines to get out every day. You know, if you miss a post, Instagram is going to be like, Hey, there's a bit of inconsistency here. And then they stop pushing stuff out as much. And you, you can see that like, um, over time if you if you're more consistent it kind of pushes things out and I think the 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 reason why I wanted to produce that much stuff um I I I produce about three three pieces of content a day one is my sort of a clip from my YouTube um from, from my podcast where I'm sort of talking to someone and they're sharing sort of slices of information from the podcast um And then I have my pointing reels, which I do. Um, And that's very simple. The the way that I make those is I film myself for about an hour and a half pointing and um, clip it down, chop it up, um, export it as individual videos. And then when it comes the time to to post stuff, I'll add the text sort of after. Um, And I have, (laughs) during this process, I have like, six, ten, ten different t-shirts by me that I can just put on just so that it's not me in the same t-shirt every time. But um, <laughs> that's how I do that part. And that part's not too bad. Uh, the, the part that I think, you know, sort of takes up a lot of, of headspace is just figuring out what to post. You know, I, I'll, I'll have a week every, every couple of weeks where I'll produce content for two weeks. So I'll have a week where I'll just, I'll, I'll get certain posts done in, in a day. You know, I'll, I'll do the writing for like my, my carousel posts, sort of do all the writing for that one day. And then the next day I'll, I'll write them up and put them into Canva and create the slides and stuff. And then the other stuff, you know, things related to sort of the, those sort of one page trend. I call them trending posts. I don't know why, but those one pages where I have different aspects of that. I pull the information from my previous carousel posts and put them into that format. Um, and, and it's the same for my, my, my reels as well. And I think it's it, a lot of it is the, is getting used to each, each sort of medium of creating things and, and trying different things out. But it's, you know, it's, it's also just being able to 
get everything done in a week and kind of have a breather, work on my creative stuff. And then, you know, when it comes to the next week, um, I've got enough chance to sort of create new stuff and, and post that. And yeah. <laughs> time consuming, time consuming, which is great. Yeah. Um... yeah. <laughs> Energy consuming as well. Um, Got to do it in bursts. Definitely. It's uh, yeah. You know, if you, if you have different categories of things that you make, it's, you know, I have two pieces of written content that I um, put out in one week, which are those carousels. Those take up the most time. Um, but once those are done, I can just kind of do the rest of them now now and again, just throughout the week on my phone. You know, the, the quotes, the uh, trending posts, the single post ones, but... Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely taken a while to build up the consistency with it. And I, I'm not always the best with it. And I haven't been the past couple of weeks, but it's, a, it's all a work in process. Well, I haven't noticed a drop off because I spend way too much time online. I haven't noticed a, a drop off in post on your end. I'll tell you that right now. It's it's less about the the actual people that are following. It's more about um, reaching new accounts because you have like this insights page on Instagram that shows you you know, you've reached this many accounts per uh, in the last month or something, and I, I I've been very consistent in the inconsistent in the times that I've been posting things, so that number has kind of dropped. So it's I, I guess it's all about not getting too excited and sort of complacent when things start to go well, uh, and just kind of just keep going with it. it. Can be very rough though sometimes, especially especially when you you feel overloaded. The content plan a checklist that's that seems to be the best way of doing it and you know for me i can't do a month's worth of content in a week so two weeks is like the sweet spot for me yeah i found that out myself very recently it seems to be about two weeks and trust me i know how that feels running my big thing is facebook i'm a little bit on instagram but like facebook seems to be what seems to work best for me mm -hmm. I'd like to know um, where the ideas for what you want to post on comes from. Um, I, I, you know, I hear you talking about the consistency and I think that's probably my, my biggest, uh, that's my biggest fault when it comes to mm -hmm. posting because I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll do something every Monday. And then I'm like, oh, I don't really have an idea, but I have an idea on Wednesday. <laughs> so how do you come up with your ideas? Most of the scheduling, sort of the the ideas that I make is I tend to leave it to times where I don't have a lot on. I don't have any deadlines. And I, those times tend to be the weekend. Usually just throughout the day, I'll, I'll designate, designate a day to kind of, you know, I'll go through social media a bit, see if there's any sort of topics that I'm interested in that other people are talking about. I'll jot those down. I'll sort of do some some background research into, you know, what, what it's all about. And I guess try and tie it to different experiences that I've had in my life and and sort of if if applicable how how I've improved in certain areas and and my thoughts on it and stuff so I think it's you know creativity is is the best when you're not rushed and that that can be the real issue with creating stuff for social media because you are rushed and there is a constant need to feed feed the beast <laughs> that is social media in order to get that algorithm to push you out to people and so you know having having times where you can really just actually just think hey what what am i interested in this week or what have i noticed this week and just have 
a long period of space and time where you're not just stuck in front of a computer. You know, you you go about your day, you do what you need to do. You notice something, you think of something, you jot it down on your notes page. And then once it comes the time when it's that, that, that week where you're making your stuff, you kind of have, you know what you're doing. So you just like, hey, I'll research this, then I'll add this and type about this. And like that, that, that does kind of work for me. I love it. You said research. I'm like, maybe I should be doing more research. <laughs> I love that. What do you research? Research says it uh, loosely. Um, I think what people really like about online content, specifically in the autism circles, is personal experience, ex- experiential ex- um, information. Uh, we you can you can Google stuff if you're interested in knowing what it's about, and there'll be like articles on it and stuff. And so, people are not really looking for that. People are looking for the the crossover between what what it actually is and how it actually looks and what to do about it or how to think of it and I think that's that's the place where we as creators can can help with um, adding adding you know it's it's the same when you, when you go to a doctor and they say you know you need to exercise you need to not eat that you need to do this this and this but it just seem it just falls flat because you're like well yeah of course like I I know there's research on it but you don't have anyone saying hey look I've you know I I've struggled with this I've I've been eating sweets every day for the past week it's making me feel very sick and I just keep eating sweets um and this is this is what my experience and this is how I felt and this is how I changed it and this is how I felt after I changed it and um you know just that personal angle I think is really useful for people who just feel constantly bombarded with just information about this is what you need to do <laughs> like well, one of the things I feel about social media, is, and it's one of the reasons why I both love it and hate it. I love it for its ability to connect people. But one of the things I don't like, and I see this a lot in the autism community, is the posts that I do and the posts that like some of my friends do that do the best are almost always like negative posts. Like when I post something that's like, oh, here's a way that like I go through my day and found ways to work around executive function. They're like, oh, that's that's nice. I get like a little bit of engagement. Meanwhile, I do a post like, I have PTSD from my effed up childhood. My my notifications are blowing up. I can't I can't keep track of all the comments. Facebook's telling me, here's comments you missed. There's like 10 comments I didn't even see. I wake up the next day, my phone's like vibrating. And, it, and that's the algorithm. It's the algorithm is like, oh, this is a trauma post. Let me just put it out into everywhere at once. It's the reason meltdown videos so when parents post a picture of their child having a meltdown and say this is autism it's the reason it does one of the reasons they do well is the algorithm loves negative stuff and i feel like it sort of warps our perspective of reality to a certain extent that's definitely a negative that's not to say that you're putting out all like negative content i think your content is really really good at finding that balance but i do want to know do you sometimes have that issue like do you have to monitor or sort of self-select certain posts that you know are probably going to do better than others yeah and i i think you're right i think at the same time you could say the same for contra controversial posts because yep. one of yep. the things that drives oh, yeah you know in society we, we we hardly ever see content from people who just have regular old you know straightforward kind of not not out there opinions being pushed as a media it's always the really great people or the really bad people. 
and it's it's the same for for things you know any anything in terms of social media those ton of posts they they invite people to talk about things and i think the you know you could draw some comparisons to kind of like the negative kind of stuff um a lot of people like to feel validated that they are not the only ones going through that and through being validated i think they're more likely to be to be encouraged to um, share their experiences and sort of give their story on it because you know it's oftentimes these negative things they can be very emotive for people and sometimes a lot of the helpful information that I've put out in the past that has really you know in my eyes feeling like I could really change stuff for people you're right it doesn't get posted it doesn't get pushed as much you know I, I think I think the best way to sort of navigate that kind of you know not always but it would be good to talk about something that's negative and bring it up as an issue um and then kind of go through give your experience on it that allows people to kind of feel okay right this is something that actually happens to people and then give them ways to to do something about it at the end because they're already invested if you if you go straight in and say hey this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do it doesn't invest people enough to 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 know for them to know that you understand i guess this this is just my theories but you know once they once they are invested they're invested in your story they relate to you they're more likely to take in the information that you put at the end so there's there's that kind of flow with things it's revealing something it's sharing being open allows people to feel open about you know going hey like this is really validating but then also giving them options to for how to 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 deal with certain things um and how you dealt with certain things and that that seems to be quite a consistent thing that that works for my page it doesn't always you know sometimes I'll you know I made a, a post about autism in men obviously very needed because Instagram's a very uh it's 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 very um heavily um w- women viewers on 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 Instagram so it's the, it's the same on Facebook too. My page, most of my followers are, are female yeah. or assigned female. Mm-hmm. But then, then if you go to YouTube, it's it's predominantly male, or you go to Reddit, it's predominantly male and predominantly conservative too. Which <laughs> yeah. um, which, which 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 I plan getting into a little later into the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Because I wanted to ask you about those those particular posts that you mm-hmm, mentioned. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. Like people don't relate to that. So it doesn't generate a lot of interest in people who don't, they're not like, oh, I don't want to know about that. It's not relatable to me. And, and you know, that you will have some people who are, who are followers and they're like, oh, I'd be interested to know what he has to say. But that's because they have followed me and they, they're sort of invested in what I'm saying. Um, but for people who are outside that, it doesn't tend to, to get a lot of traction because it's not relatable to people. So it's 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 kind of things like that i mean that that post was something that i wanted to talk about so i i talked about it but for most of the time i would try and focus on things that that people can relate to i suppose no i think that i think that is a very valid point in regards to i feel like social media controls our businesses because their algorithms <laughs> um literally control um everything uh, but i i was Saying that I was because there is such a small number of um, 
for lack of a better way to explain it, positive uh, males on Instagram. Uh, hard for me to to find something to share with a client, right? Because it's usually a lot of women, and I always feel like uh, even when I think of like male students or you know, just it's like they're being told by women all the time, right? Moms and teachers and women and therapists and they're just surrounded by women telling them what to do. So it's nice when there is um, a male figure for them to uh, sort of like connect with, <laughs> because I'm sure that I'm sure that you guys have that experience. I mean, there's usually more women teachers than men teachers and therapists. I, I used to be a teacher, probably one of two in the entire school. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I, when I was in education, I saw the same thing especially with younger kids, uh, you get more female teachers, secondary education. So junior high, high school, you do get more male teachers and special ed, you definitely get more male teachers in the higher levels, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Stacy, before I drag this conversation deeper into Zoomer territory, is there any other questions you have? Um, you know, I I really wanted to just get so I'm thinking like for our listeners, right, um, especially parents of teens and college age and even college age folks who listen, just about the concept of moving your body and working out, right? Um, how it's just, when I think from a sensory perspective, right, the, the interesting thing is students always struggle during PE, but they need to move their bodies because they've been sitting for so long. But PE is so unstructured and chaotic. It's always like the one time that they're like, nope, I'm just going to opt out. Um, or, you know, the PE teacher has everybody sitting watching film um, these days and not actually moving their bodies. So what would you say is, uh, should be, I guess, maybe like the motivator, what should be the motivator for, uh, autistic, not children, but uh, turning into adults, uh, transitioning to move their bodies because we have so much technology and sitting and IT folks and people who are writing or people who are creating. And, um, and when I say creating like drawing or art or anything like that, and nobody's getting up in general, but like getting up. Cause I do find that that's one of the things my my families have trouble with is like their teenage son goes in and he games and he never moves. And it's like, he needs to move his body. So I don't know, what would you say to those young men who don't want to move their bodies, <laughs> are not motivated to move their bodies? You know, I, I, I think it's a, it's a very important kind of point because I, I would agree with you. A lot of us tend to gravitate towards video games. It's, um, you know, particularly for me, it was it was a very big aspect of escapism when I was younger. I I didn't really feel comfortable out in the world. Most of the time when I was at school, it was horrible and I, I hated it. And so when I came home, I wanted to, to enter a fantasy world and I wanted to you know, be on my own, have control over everything. Um, and that was very enticing to me. I think, you know, there's there's those, those aspects of you know, just daily life that just really are really, really difficult for us. I, I hated PE. It was awful. Pretty much did everything that I didn't want to do. You know, I wanted to learn about martial arts. I wanted to go to the gym. I wanted to like understand more about how the body works. But really PE was just an opportunity for me to just sit around or stand around and watch 
the other kids play with a football and me now and again being able to kick it. So it's I think it's less about not wanting to move and it's more about, you know, we just we're just not interested in that. And there's so many social elements to those games. You know, that they'll the the kids who are good at the sports, they they pass the ball to the other kids who are good at the sports. They don't really pass to you because they know that you're not going to be as good or you they don't know you as much. So there's always that like social element of it. The thing that my parents did really well with me is that they allowed me to explore. If I had an inclination that I wanted to do something, they would take me and we would do something extracurricular outside of school, something that's in a different world, something that's not surrounded by people who I wanted to avoid. And I think that that separation was was quite important for me because... Number one, it was something that I wanted to do, and uh, and number two, it was, you know, it was it was outside that reality that I had. It was in a different place. It was diff- with different people, and it kind of gave me a flavor of sort of different kind of social circles as well. I th- I think that you know it, it is really important to find a sport, something that they can do that they actually enjoy, and that that requires a lot of uh, work. It requires a lot of trying things out, uh, testing testing the waters on different things. You, a lot of the time, it will be things that are very individual sports, like like myself. Um, I like any sport where I can just do it on my own. I don't need to be around people. And if I interact with the other kids or I, I interact with other people whilst doing that, that is something that I can have control over. I don't, I don't, I'm not reliant on building these social networks in order to play the sport. So I, th- I think that that's an element of it. It's a lot about choice. It's a lot about interest. You're not going to be able to get your, your kid to, or your young adult to do something that they're not going to enjoy because it's just an extra thing that they have to do. It's an extra social event. It's an extra just bundle of stress. Um, so finding the right environment and the right thing, I think, is, is really important. But also understanding that it is very very impactful on someone's mental health our brains are developed are built in order to move that is the primary reason why we have brains to to do all these complex movements and fulfilling those complex movements doing these things it has massive massive regulatory effects on an entire body it you know releases different growth factors in your brain it you know Obviously, it helps with health, but it also helps with regulating your mood and anxiety and sort of helping you sleep. And these are all things that we really struggle with. So I think, yeah, definitely finding something, just something that that gives you a little bit of anxiety to go and do. But once you're in it, you feel good. And after you feel great. And it's just reinforcing that over and over again. It's going to be a bit hard going. It's going to be around, perhaps around people. It's going to be a bit stressy. But then... You push through that. There's the reward. You feel great. You might even feel like you want to talk to people because of all the endorphins and the the good chemicals going around you. Um, and then after you feel you feel wonderful and you can sleep and you can relax and you can do those games. And I, I just want to highlight that I've always been a gamer. <laughs> I'm not so much nowadays, but I was one of those kids. And it, the thing is, it's not it's not something to worry about so much because a lot of the time it's something that we really need we need that escape and having that that place is is important for us to to sort of regulate ourselves but i guess it's 
really finding something that we can add to that that's not going to stress us out and it's actually going to help us and sort of reinforcing that over time, definitely. Thank you so much. And for the listeners, I want you to rewind and listen to that last five, seven minutes because those were really good nuggets of information. Um, And uh, I just want to point out that you said school was all um, because I say it all the time. I share with my parents, like your child is really, really working hard. School is not like a place that's working for them and they're coming home and they need that hour, two hours to sit in their room and game and they're socializing. And so um, listeners, parents, Rewind and listen to that again. That was good. Thank you so much, Thomas. It's not going to harm. It's not going to harm them playing playing some some games. It might actually be good for them because they might actually feel like they can connect with other people. But definitely, you know, having that exercise is always going to be beneficial in pretty much every area, even even when it comes to social skills and bonding with people, making connections. Well, that actually helped me a lot in high school with team sports. I was sort of. So I come from both sides. When I was really young, like a toddler in preschool and elementary school, I was so uncoordinated and out of shape. So I was always, a, I'm fat now, but I was always a fat kid and I hate sports. I want sports. I want to play sports. I want to socialize. And then for whatever reason, and to this day, I don't know why, once I hit high school, I suddenly wanted to play sports. I've always been really competitive. So I think that was the thing. I just something clicked and I realized I could funnel my competitiveness through sports. I'm competitive to a fault, by the way. Like I can't play video games because I've like thrown whole consoles across the yeah, room, like out the window. Like, the optimum techniques. Yeah, I, like, it, uh... I, I, I get so obsessive <laughs> because like my learning curve on new video games is short because I'll just play and play and play and play and play until I'm good at it. it, it it's bad. At least in sports, it can be that competitiveness can be sort of confined. But yeah, I I did decently in team sports in terms of handling it, like as an autistic person, not in terms of playing. I'm very unathletic and very uncoordinated. I sort of look like an octopus who's tripping on acid. But (laughs) I always enjoyed, oh, I I think from high school on, I enjoyed playing team sports. I loved PEP. the only good I hated school PE was the only good time of day, especially if we played like soccer or American football or baseball, or whatever. I loved all that, and it gave me a chance to sort of develop a work ethic and yeah. a yeah. sense of, and this is where the control comes in. If I put X amount of work in, I will get X results, because I was really unathletic. I went from super uncoordinated, just kind of uncoordinated, to a lot of hard work. Which it made a difference. People noticed from like one year from my 10th grade to my 11th grade, I dropped a bunch of weight. I worked on my coordination and people noticed. And I always loved the experience of people having to admit like the stuff they said about me was wrong. So you have to, they had to admit they were wrong about me. So I think that helped and it gave me a chance to make friends. And some of the friends I made playing sports, I'm still friends with today, 10 years later because of soccer, because of baseball. So it it can work the other way as well. But one of your posts, I forget which one, talking about you in the gym and weight training and stuff, a lot of the comments were based around accessibility. A lot of autistic people have trouble dealing with crowds and the noise and the environment. 
what are some things you think an autistic person could do to help cope with that in like a gym setting? Because the problem is we talk about moving your body and stuff, but some of us live in areas like you in the UK or me in the Northeast United States, where for like four or five months a year, you kind of can't be outside. Like it's not conducive to human life. And in, in the United States in the South, it's the other six months a year. It's just too hot. To be, like you have to be indoors. So what are some things you do and what are some things other autistic people can do to help be able to like tolerate being inside a gym, for example? And I think the thing that is it's important, I think it's important to, you know, validate that it's not a fun place for a lot of people. And it's not it's not exactly a fun place for me. You know, as as I said at the start, I think, you know, when I was when I was talking about sort of getting into sporting environments, it is that that sticking point that that point at which you're like do i do i get my stuff ready and go or do i not get my stuff ready and go and i think you know over time i think it's really important to to reinforce that because getting into anything changing routine is always going to be hard and it's even harder for someone who is on the autistic spectrum and i think it's important to know that one of the most important things about starting going to the gym i'd say the first thing is to you know see if you can get some insight into when the times that it's that it's busy you know and try and find times that it's not not so much busy in general um then you want you want to decide on how often you would desire to go to the gym you know it could be once a week it could be twice it could be three times and then set aside aside time to, to to go to that to that place Make sure you've got some, feel okay in bringing your phone with you and just staring at your phone between between sets on an exercise. I know it's uh, in gym culture, it's kind of seen as like, oh, you're, you're just wasting time, you're not focused. But I find that there's just having something to do on my phone stops me from getting anxious about, oh, where do I look? Uh, you know, do I look down? But then people I think I'm a bit weird and I look down all the time. Or do I look around? Or, but then I lock eyes with people and do I just, immediately look away or do I just you know so there's always those mental gymnastics that you have to do and just having a phone and something to do between your sets um really helps another aspect of it is headphones yeah if you can get some noise cancelling headphones put on your music and for for that initial three you know two two three or four weeks just go and do a bit of cardio or and do a bit of weights, pick a machine, try, try, learn that machine, watch some YouTube videos and just go for like half an hour or something um, or 20 minutes, whatever feels manageable to you. And even if you just go in and you just do one thing and then you go back out, it's still just setting that in place, that, that time, that time and space in the week where you, you're just going to the gym. Once, once that starts to be something that, you know, that sticking point becomes a bit like less so, and it just kind of feels a bit more natural to start going regularly. That's the point where you can start experimenting with other things. You might want to try different machines. You might want to up the amount of time that you're at the gym. You might want to up the intensity and actually, you know, progress on some of the things. And I think the funny thing about going to the gym is that everyone who doesn't, they'll go, I don't know how you do it. You're amazing. How do you go six times a week to the gym? Like what's what, how, how you must be some kind of different human, dif like an alien or something. It, it's just... easy. It's called not having kids. 
<laughs> that could be that could definitely be a factor. And I, I I just say it's 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 a habit, you know. It's just like before you go to sleep, you have a bedtime routine. You just do it. You don't really think about it. You just do it. And the the, the cool thing about the human brain is that habits are a, a way for us to conserve mental energy. So we don't have to think about what we do in the morning. We don't have to think about what we do when we're at work. We know what we have to do at work and we do that. And then we come home at a certain time. We just do it because it's part of our daily routine. The point at which you're overthinking things and you're thinking, hey, should I go? Shouldn't I go? That's just all because it's not part of a habit. Um, and, and and over time, you, you know, other, other things happen as well. It's It's a physiological change. You know, when you first go to the gym, first couple of weeks, you're going to feel awful coming back from the gym. You'll just be like, oh, finish work. I'm going there and just emptying my tanks. I feel awful. Like I just keep training myself and obviously take it back a bit and just try and get a routine in first. But I think after a while, once it's part of what you do, your body adapts. And just like how you would feel thirsty or hungry, you'll you'll start to sort of weirdly crave some sort of physical exertion because you, your body's adapting and it's building up energy and it knows that this time you you go into the gym and you go there and then you come back and you go to sleep and etc um but you have that and that release of energy and you you start to crave that release of energy so you know when people when people come up to me and say hey how do you do this like you must be some crazy human i don't jump in and do six days a week and do like intense weight training just right off the bat no it's it's a gradual thing even if I take a few weeks off I still have to get back into that that flow when it is anxious and it is hard but you do get into a zone and you do start to want to go and it will happen for everybody and you would just it would just be something that you want to do <laughs> there will be some people out there who won't feel like that and I understand that you know exercise going to <laughs> going and doing weights going and doing cardio going and do classes might not be your cup of tea and maybe it might just be you need to try something that you're actually genuinely interested in um that's a massive factor of of long-term success at any kind of sport or exercise you've got to actually enjoy it or enjoy the results or enjoy the process or there has to be some level of enjoyment there to keep it sustainable long term no, exactly. And another thing I would like to add, and this is my personal opinion, is if you're looking into a gym, I would look for the the most expensive gym that you can obviously afford. Because the cheaper the gym, if you go to like your big box gyms, that might be your only option. So if that's the case, that's the case. But culture means a lot. Like the gym I go sure. to is a little bit more on the pricier side and it's like a kick in the dick. Whenever, whenever the bill comes due every month, but the culture is awesome. Like I do a lot of weird stuff. I talk to myself. I rearrange the weights. That's mm -hmm. like a purely like male autistic thing. I will go through the gym and rearrange all the weights or at least most of them in between sets and stuff. Cause that's how I get like focused. And it's like a, it, it, the sense of order is, is something I like. I put the bars back. The gym staff love me cause I do a job for them. Yeah, but it looks yeah. a little weird. And at commercial gyms, 
people look at you, especially commercial, no one puts their stuff back because no one cares because it's cheap. Yeah. They don't have value for it. So they think you're up. They think you're being virtue signaling. They think you're, yeah, you're trying being to shame passive them. aggressive, mm. which which can lead i've almost gotten the fights before because because people sometimes you get people with commercial gyms they're there to show off they're there to socialize they're there yeah. for other a lot of other reasons than just training and getting stronger mm, or getting better, in. better shape if you go to a more private gym the higher cost is a barrier of entry because you're paying more so you're actually going to put in work so people at like my gym are there to put in work. They're not there to judge people. As a result, everyone's kind of nice. We talk and stuff sometimes. But no one cares what you're doing. It's weird or anything. They only care if you're about to hit a big PR or a PB. They care that you're bettering yourself because we're all there to better ourselves in some way. So that would be a suggestion. And don't be afraid to be weird. Don't be afraid to unmask. Don't be afraid to talk to yourself and put back weights and things like that. Just don't don't try if you try the mask you're not going to be able to do it consistently because then yeah, that means you're just another need, place you're going to need spoons mm -hmm. you're going to need a lot of spoons if you have to mask there and then you're just not going to be able to go because you're not always going to have the spoons and the key is consistency you have to be able to go consistently be it two times a week three times a week or in your case six quick update on that gym i was mentioning about Three to five days after we recorded that podcast, that gym completely screwed me and all of our members over by switching things around and making the gym very sensory unfriendly, making it way more cramped, way more crowded, way more environmentally, and effectively ushered most of its members out the door in favor of a small group of very wealthy clientele. I'm now at another gym that fits all the criteria that I mentioned the first one had, but I ended up having to pay even more money for it. I'd be dead <laughs> if I went six days a week, by the way, because no, I, I look wouldn't. pretty heavy. You could, do, you could do it. I've tried. I've gone up to six days, but I just, I lift too heavy. I can't recover from it. You drop the drop down, drop down the sets. Drop down I, I, the I have too much of an ego. I have too much of an ego. I, <laughs> I, I just can't. Like, it's, it's not good. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I, I, I just can't. Um, so don't, don't be like me either. I'm one of those, I'm, you know how you see that stereotype, that dude who's just jumping around to like heavy metal and loading, loading a crap load of weight on the bar and it's just doing heavy stuff and it's like just this big, swollen, just angry. That's me. I'm that, I'm that guy that like scares other people while I go into the gym. So maybe I'm not the best example. But Thomas is so do what he says because because he brings up some really good points. I I, I mean I mean I, I wouldn't say that I am I am definitely a a heavyweight kind of sort of person. I like I like doing that. I've seen your overhead press. They well, what was that like one thirty five? That's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, well I'm I'm trying I'm trying to work it in. It's um a bit I've been working it in for the past three months or something. So it's it's I mean it's, it's good, but yeah I mean. I go to a commercial gym. It's very bright. It's very noisy. That's why I have the noise cancelling headphones. That's why I have my phone. I don't know if people are looking at me weird, or or you know thinking oh and chatting chatting about me. I'm in my own world. I'm just going there. I'm enjoying my workout, or I'm enjoying the the fact that I'm finishing a workout. Um, you know, I I don't tend to focus on other people because 
the thing a lot of the time you you'll get now and again you will get those those kind of people who are just going there just to kind of show off and assert dominance over the gym or, or do all that kind of stuff but yeah I, I just let people then people get on with it i just don't pay any attention to them um i think you know once you realize that the majority of people are just there thinking the exact same thing and they're thinking about themselves and they're thinking oh are those people talking about me uh, am i doing this right are they going to laugh at me because i'm doing this machine this way that's not conventional you just you just don't care because most people just don't think about you you like <laughs> we all think we're the center of the universe if you think about it, it's a very narcissistic thing like almost in a way to think that like everyone's thinking about me and everyone thinks about themselves and everyone's can't self-conscious about themselves especially if they knew and so that 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 just knowing that and just thinking hey look i'm thinking this obviously a lot of other people are thinking this as well and you know you, you you'll get them now and again and i think that the the biggest culprits for being annoying to me are usually the kids you know the, the kids who are just going as part of their school day and they've got a pe class and they're doing a pe course and they're just going and they're like not taking it seriously and they're like <laughs> like that's so funny i need to do 10 sets of bench press and we're just gonna hog it for the next two hours and those are usually the worst. The, the guys who are like the meatheads and stuff, they tend to be like me. They're just locked in. They're like just getting on with their sets. They're getting on with their reps. It does depend on the people. And it, you know, if it does become an issue and you do have people who are just harassing you, I think you'd be well within your own right to kind of know when that, when, whenabouts those people are usually in the gym and avoid them. Um, but I'd say in most cases, people are not really bothered about you. They're bothering about themselves. They're worrying about themselves. You know, worrying about all the people are saying about them. Uh, it's just something that that you you gotta you gotta get over, and you just gotta remember, just lock in, have have fun, do what you want to do, and then get out when you're finished, and just don't think about other people. Um, it's easier said than done. It is, and again, it's all about that exposure. And once it's in part of your habit, part of your routine, you always know you go in there, you you know, as in your case, Torin, you put on some heavy metal, you just get in the zone, you do what you need to do, and then you get out. And the more that you reinforce that over time, the more that it just becomes something. And I do want to highlight, it's not always like that. And there are times where I'm very self-conscious and very worried about what the people are saying. I get paranoid. I'm like, oh, God, like... And, and you do get the odd person who, for some reason, decides it's a great idea between the sets to stare at you. But you just it's just something that you just got to, now and again, it props up. And you just got to go, hey, look, this is my time. I'm doing what I want at the gym. I'm going here. I'm doing that. I'm getting out. And you just you just keep telling yourself that. And it it, it does get easier. And you will have bad days and you'll have bad weeks and bad mental health days. And it's just something like like with everything in life, you know, sometimes you don't feel like you want to get up for work in the morning and you feel really tired and, you you know, it'd probably be good for your physical health and your mental health to not go to work, but you do it anyway. And it's, you'll have those off days and it's just about remembering that the majority of the cases, the majority of the times that you go, you can expect exactly the same thing and you will do exactly the same thing every single time. And that's, it's very comfortable. And, it, and you always you always feel especially if it's really hard and you don't finish all your workout you feel rewarded it's like 
hey, I really didn't want to go today, but I did. You know, I didn't do too well on my weights and I went down on my weights or something. I didn't do as many reps, but I still went. No, it's exactly. And that's still, and those are the sessions that really build you both physically and mentally when you when you're not quite up to it and you find a way to make the adjustment. And the one thing I want to add is I'm sure we have some female listeners who are like, oh, no one's gonna come up to you. And they're probably thinking, that's because you're both dudes, which yes, <laughs> fair enough. Like well, the only people who look at me are the other meatheads, because me and the other I'm a meathead. So meatheads, we all know what each other squats. Like we're focused <laughs> on because because that's what we're into. But you get like those, for lack of better words, those fuck boys who go and you see this more commercial gyms once again who go to the gym like to pick up chicks because they're not actually oh, working yeah. hard. They're, they're, they're really annoying. You can see them. I just see them going about and I can see them eyeing up people. They're going over. You could see because they're not working hard because if you hit, if you're hitting a heavy top set of squats, like a top set of five on squats, you're not paying attention <laughs> exactly. to what that girl next to you is wearing because you're trying to figure yeah. out, okay, how am I going to get through, through this set without dying? Because it, it's, a, it's an awful experience because it's heavy. So those are a problem, but I, I want to move away from that largely because we're both dudes. So there's really yeah. not much else you can say except don't be a fuck boy. But speaking of those people, speaking of those people, you did a post a few, a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago about like autism and men and things like that. And that got me thinking because the problem is you get, the autism community is sort of split in two. So you have our autism community on like Facebook, and Instagram, Twitter, which is, I don't want to say dominated, but a lot of the people engaging in the community are assigned females or female presenting people. And I'm like, where are all the dudes? Well, I know where all the autistic dudes are. They're in what's known as the manosphere, which is this collective of scumbags and grifters who prey on people, on young men's insecurity and feed them misogyny and racism and all such of other bullshit. So they'll buy their products and their courses and stuff. And it creates this sort of cult-like atmosphere. And that's something that's always concerned me as a man, as an autistic person. But what the, the question I'm thinking of is, what do you think are some of the things we could do? And I know this is a loaded question to help bring back some of these guys and bring them into the community that we're a part of. It's a good question. I think I think the the reason why a lot of people get roped into those kind of spaces is, you know, I, I've I've talked to people who are sort of within those spaces and a lot of them are really struggling with life and it's it's very overwhelming for them they they need some kind of concreteness to things they need someone to tell them that that it's okay to be a dude and that it's uh, masculinity can be a positive and good thing and and that's that's one of the you know obviously it's not all about that positive masculinity as you said there's a lot of toxic stuff over there and with misogyny yeah they're not teaching positive masculinity at all they're just teaching toxic bullshit and saying this is what masculinity is but we, we don't tend to have a lot of spaces outside from from what i've seen like if i if i go on youtube i don't seem to see a lot of spaces where that conversation's had there, there are those out there definitely but i think especially for young men who are like feeling down under they don't really feel like they fit in they don't feel like they can um, have relationships they don't feel like they're going to be successful they don't feel like society cares about them 
I think they get shuttled into those those sort of ways of thinking because that's that's what they think is the ideal. Um, and and re really, you know, the ideal is that firstly you are a human being, and secondly you are a man. You you're a dude. Um, you know, th there are some things in in life which are easier for us, and there's some things in life that are harder for us. And it's about working on yourself and it's about developing yourself i i would say that that you know because obviously in manosphere it's a very sort of catch-all sort of umbrella i think i think the manosphere is described as content for men so there can be a lot of people within that who are not assholes and they do actually sort of help you um understand what what aspects of masculinity are good and what are bad but as you said, there are there are a lot of channels, a lot of people out there who who just want to 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 show on women. They yep. just want to say, oh, there's there's people, oh, they're saying all oh, women's power and stuff. Well, now we don't want them. Um, this is what we are, and we're strong, and we're gonna be reactionary, and we're gonna fight the power and that kind of thing. And that's what they're thinking. That's what they're feeling, and and those people validate that. Whereas what they really need to be doing is looking for productive ways to improve themselves. And that there are some channels which are focused towards men which have been um and are you know quite transformatively good and not necessarily just reactionary you know they're productive and they allow you know thoughts and discussion and if i think we need more of those places in the instagram community because you know as as, as you said well as as we've we've talked about um instagram tends to be more um female dominated women dominated than than other spaces so anytime i've created posts about masculinity i've talked about men they i get a lot of com negative comments saying we, we don't want to hear about this like this is this is not good we don't we don't need to talk about masculinity in this this positive light but i i think yeah we do because the thing if masculinity is 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 something that i that is important to a lot of men and being able to talk about what exactly that is and how exactly you should go about and think about the world, think about, you know, women in a, in a positive, positive light, or, you know, at least somewhat similar to, to you think of other men. I think that's really important for them to hear. And, and, you know, I, I, as I've said, you know, the, the fitness content and stuff that I've been trying to do when, you know, I do try to make some, some content, which is, more geared towards men and i think a lot of men are kind of craving that and they want someone who isn't your your andrew tate or someone like that who just obviously is yeah well maybe we could have a whole discussion about that but yeah um you need someone who who is masculine but isn't an asshole um, <laughs> isn't toxic you would think that would be easy but that's like almost like finding a unicorn at this point in like the <laughs> online space it's it's reached the point where people think that goes hand in hand and it doesn't mm. but i think a lot of women and this is going off like my audience like my audience mostly female as well and i do a lot of stuff about men and like ptsd and how guys struggle oh, yeah. with that and the audience been mostly receptive, I think, in large part because a lot of women understand. Well, one, I have a lot of parents because this podcast, so I have a lot of autistic women who are parents to autistic children, a lot of boys. So they're concerned about that because they don't want their boys being indoctrinated. And also, I think a lot of people in general are like, we need to do something. 
because clearly what we're doing isn't working. Just screaming about all masculinity is bad. And I'm not saying most people are saying that because most people aren't. That there's a, a few people on like college campuses and stuff, but it's not working. It's the tail end of it. It's the yeah. it's the two ends of it, exactly. isn't it? That more, those are always more pushed and more out. People, more and more men are being indoctrinated. So I think most rational people have reached a point where what would have have understood what we're doing isn't working and we need to do something different. So I I found it's actually been pretty sympathetic and pretty engaging. It's been the 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 masculine posts have been pretty good on my end. I have a much smaller following than you. Um and I guess I don't tap into the sort of that uh female audience as well. Uh but um I am encouraged by it and I think your answers to this are great because you're absolutely right. I agree with everything you said. But as we start bringing this this uh, podcast in, because we could just keep going for hours, uh, Stacy, uh, are there any questions you have left? Because we, we we've sort of just completely hijacked this podcast. So, is there anything uh, you'd like to ask before we go? No, this has been really um, very interesting for me, and I'm just confused about the masculinity thing. So, is masculinity not good anymore? Is that not? Is that? We're all confused at this point, Stacy. That's that's the oh, whole point. Okay. We're all confused. Oh, okay, okay. Hmm. I I am a I am a fan of alpha male. Um, I want I like alpha males. I am like I. It, and it's really you funny. just got us canceled. No, I I think I know there's a you. lot to be said about that, and maybe because I had a dad right who was an alpha male and protected us and cared for us and and was also uh, very loving um but i think there is something to be said about i guess the confusion or whatever it is that's going on because a lot of my moms right when we say that the women dominate moms dominate social media um mm -hmm. i have lots of dads who are wonderful and they're like oh you know i'd like to talk to other dads and i'm like oh okay great so i get all of them in the room and nobody says anything <laughs> <laughs> like you guys said you wanted to well, are you going to be there? I'm like, no, I'm not a dad. Like, I need you guys to start the conversation. Um, but what I find is, and I make the joke because my moms will get upset because the dads don't do. And I'm like, because you didn't marry an alpha male. Like, you married a non-alpha male. So you are the alpha in the relationship. And now you're wanting them to step up, but you didn't choose the alpha male. And I know this is not about alpha male, but I'm just... I have two sons. I didn't know masculinity was like, I have two six foot three black male football player sons. So like, I'm all about, I have my own security when I walk through the store with them. Like, I don't have to worry about mm -hmm. anybody touching me. Except maybe the cops. And just, that so, is true. That and is just true. so we don't get any comments. Yes, we're aware that there's technically no such thing as an alpha male. It was based on free. Yes, it was based off. Re oh, you know that? No, it's true. It was based off research done on wolves, I think, in the sixties, and yeah, the scientist sure. himself yeah. actually repudiated his own work <laughs> because the original work was done on wolves in captivity, and wolves in cap wolves don't deal well with captivity. No animal does. So they acted like pricks to each other. Hmm. They found that alpha male wolves in the wild act completely differently in much more of a positive sense. The way the way. Hmm. Uh, you're talking about and that's the disconnect it's what you're talking about is someone who's a leader who's a provider who's loving who's caring looks out for their family hmm. what those scumbags in the manosphere and in the red pill community and the black pill community are talking about is someone 
who dominates for the sake of just having power over somebody, who looks down on women. Ah, got it. I think it's it's really important you bring up that point because I think that there's there's two problems with with the masculinity that's displayed in those spaces. Um, the the first is that how to go about showing that you're masculine. And the, the thing is, is that that's very counterintuitive because if you want to be perceived as dangerous and alpha and cool and all that, that's not being masculine. That's just trying to seek attention. Um, the, the thing is, is that the, the, most, the most masculine, the most amazing men that I know, it's not, not the ones who are going up and intimidating people. It's not the one who's mm -hmm. going up and, and gloating and things like that. It's the people who receive that, but then don't mm -hmm. react. It, mm -hmm. they, they receive that, they don't react. They keep in their center. Um, being able to sort of be in control of yourself, I think, is a really important aspect with it. Not, mm -hmm. not being reactive to things. You're not going out in the world to say, hey, I'm going to boss you about, I'm going to boss you about just for the sake of, of doing that, because you, you'll come across someone um, who is in the core that, you know, they're very stable emotionally. They know what they, who they are, what they want to do, how they want to act in the world. They're an adult <laughs> and they just won't take it. And you, you'll try and intimidate them and you try and do all these things and it just, just won't work. And it's, it's, I think I think having that focus on on being, hey, I'm going to be the top man in the room. I'm going to do all these things. You just you're just trying to get attention from people. You're mm -hmm. starting things for no reason. It's not being masculine. It's being a child. It's mm -hmm. not. It's you're not. <laughs> it's it's not productive in any sense of the word. You, masculinity and and you know we we could have a conversation about what that means and it's it's a very subjective thing and from person to person but it's it's not about other people it's about you and mm -hmm. what you do and are you looking after people are you want wanting to care for people because we think oh well, you don't need to care about people you need to dominate is that no like that's not what leaders and people do people depend on people because they look after them and they make sure they're okay and if there's someone who doesn't look okay they go over to them and ask them if they're okay and they try and include them and they give them the attention and they ask them questions and let them speak and have some of the the space. And it, I, I think, you know, th that idea of just wanting to go out there and prove to people that you are a certain thing, it's it's completely counterintuitive to what it actually means to be a masculine man. I'm, I'm like, no, I can't say alpha male anymore. No, no, no. We're not saying you can't say alpha male. No, 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 no. I need to do some reading. <laughs> you know, I, another thing to really point out with this is we're we're always thinking about to be to be masculine or to be feminine or to be anything else. But the most important core thing that everybody shares is humanity, and humanity is something that's not confined by standards. And and the thing is, is you don't need to fit every single stereotype of a masculine man that you that you think it is in order to be a masculine man you empathy being able to be reasonable 
be able to have conversations about things and understand boundaries and needs and actually have productive thoughtful conversations that aren't just displays of dominance um that's incredibly important because we're, we're not just men and women we are humans and a core value of being human is you know a, a wonderful quality about being human is being empathic and caring about people and not just thinking about yourself and being selfish and i think that those those types of things they've kind of been bundled up together like they've they've been the humanities it's 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 been eradicated from the picture it's just about these two polarities that people have in their mind whereas in, in real life things are not that black and white and the people that you see online who act in a certain way you you'll know it torrent like you, you have a different voice for doing podcasts you have it's you, you're a different person um online so the people that you see that are acting these ways they're almost always doing it for the camera and it's if you talk to them in real life or you talk to people like that in real life then they're not like that and i think you know being able to to, to first approach it by am i a good human being is more important than am i a good man or am i a good woman or am i a good um gender non-binary you know it's I, th I think that that real key importance of humanity and and being a good person should be primary, primary focus. You want to be a good person. It's a good thing to not, uh, you know, overwhelm people and push people out of groups and confront people all the time just for the sake of it and be aggressive and be assertive all the time. It's, it's not as clear cut and there's not this one formula of what a man needs to be that you need to conform to it's it's variable it's dependent it's dependent on culture it's dependent on your religion it's dependent on so many so many different factors and you don't need to have another man tell you what you need to be <laughs> you don't need another human to tell you what you need to be they can they can give you ideas and they can they can share things about their experiences on how they navigate life but you don't need to fit this this mold, this template, and you don't need to fill every single part of it in order to have yourself as an identity. You you are you first, and the relationship you have with other people are completely different to the relationships that they may have with people in their lives. And it's it's very dependent, and it needs to be a personal thing. And there are core values to masculinity that we think about, such as being able to be a rock, be able, be able to support people, being able to protect people, be possibly being able to provide. But that doesn't mean that you shun people and you make fun of them just because they don't want to live that very binary lifestyle. of mm -hmm. I have to provide all the time. I have to protect all the time. I have to be the rock all the time. It's not like that. Real life mm -hmm. is not like that. And yeah. if you just shun your emotions, your negative emotions to the side, especially... And just say, hey, look, I'm a masculine rock. And I, I'm I'm the rock and everyone comes to me because I'm a protective person and I just don't break. It's not true. And and everybody does. And everybody's emotional. We're emotional creatures. And it's mm -hmm. it's good to be like that. And it's good yeah. to ask for support from people. And it's good to express it to some degree. 
so you know ha- having all of those those things in mind i think that that that's the most important thing to to realize that it's not this binary of you have to fill all of these categories to be accepted by these these men on the internet it's it's your life you know and you can be a protector you can support you can provide but you are also human too and you need all of those things too now and again just at different degrees depending on different people so it's you know i think that's that's all that i wanted to say on it but that's so well said Thank mm-hmm. you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I felt like I was just disparfing a load of words at you, but <laughs> no, no, it's, it's something that I feel very so passionate well about. So well said. I like I couldn't say it better myself. I don't know anyone that really could have said that better. Like mm-hmm. you encapsulized that perfectly. And thank you, and thank you for being on, Stacy. Is there anything you'd like to say before we go? No, this was so interesting and insightful. And Stacy, yeah. that's why we're working too shift the narrative on everything autism see ya